Hello and welcome to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I'm your host, Emily Hutchinson. And I'm your co-host, Elizabeth Moeller. And we are here today with Alessia Servin. Thanks very much for being here. Hi, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah, we're, we're really excited to hear about your work. Just to start us off, can you tell us, can you introduce yourself and tell us what you do? Yeah, of course. Uh, so my name is Alessia Servin, as you just mentioned. I go by she, they pronouns, and I am currently a master's student um, at the University of Western Ontario in the Department of Gender, Sexuality, and Women's Studies. Can you tell us, just for folks who might not know, what, what does that department sort of entail? Like, what's, What sorts of things might people study? Um, I think we've maybe typically heard a lot about women's studies in our, in our undergrad courses, but um, tell us a little bit about the department and some of the things people might look at in your department. Yeah, for sure. So the department itself is very interdisciplinary. Um, it is a field that covers an array of topics. Um, it really does focus on looking at uh, discrepancies between different identities of different um, marginalizations, uh, looking at how um, a person's identity is affected because of who they are as a person, um, different uh, aspects of intersections of who they are, um, how they meet with certain systems and how those systems fight back against them. Um, it, it honestly is a very broad topic and you can study anything uh, from, I've seen people do geography and gender studies to science and gender studies. Um, so there really is a, a, a big broad array of options there. Yeah, no doubt. How did you get into that? What, what part of that was most interesting to you? So I actually did my undergrad at Carleton University in human rights and social justice. Uh, I went in originally as a communications major and just wasn't enjoying what I was learning. I ended up taking an introduction to human rights and I found that this was more of like something that I was very passionate about. Um, and then about in my third year, I had some room to take more electives, more first year courses and gender studies happened to be one that I was like, okay, this could be interesting. Um, and, and when I started taking the course, um, my TA actually for that course was just very passionate about what she was teaching. Um, and it was very clear to me that these were issues that not just, that didn't just affect me as a, um, a woman, but also as somebody who is very uh, caring of other identities who might be struggling through the world um, because of who they are. Um, and so through gender studies, I was able to kind of meet different um, passions of mine. I was able to com combine um, the human rights aspect of, of looking at these different situations happening across the globe, um, taking a critical lens approach of gender studies and applying it to those issues. Um, and then media studies I still kept as my minor and was able to kind of focus on that um, through different tools like media or blogs. Um, social media was a huge one of them for me in my undergrad. Um, so yeah, it was a great opportunity for a lot of my interests to kind of like intersect and settle in this one um, in disciplinary discipline. So can you tell us a little bit about um, your master's work and what you're doing now and a little bit about some of the research interests that you have? Yeah, so I am a person who has uh, many interests. 
Um, because of my background in human rights and doing a minor in media studies and gender studies, um, there are a array of things from disability studies to queer theory, to feminist studies um, that really are the foundation of what my current passions and research uh, build off of. Um, so when it came to uh, doing my master's program and actually applying to the program, I had a choice between doing a um, research project or just doing a course-based approach. Um, and I really wanted to challenge myself. So I decided to go uh, and ahead and do an independent research project, which I am currently in the works of. Um, and I really sat with myself and, and wondered, what is it that I feel I could make um, a meaningful impact um, through my research while also maybe answering some of my own personal questions as well. Um, so right now my research focuses on um, the experiences of first-generation students within uh, post-secondary institutional settings. Um, and I've mainly focused on um, the effective experience of these first-generation students within these university walls. Um, and how this feeling of cultural homelessness can have an impact on first-generation students and actually affect how they move through university settings and spaces. Um, as a first-generation student myself, it was very close to home. It was something that I had always struggled through in my undergrad and even throughout my master's, um, just kind of navigating the institution itself. So this was a project that was really meaningful to me. Um, and, and it is autoethnography based, so I actually share some of my own personal experiences um, throughout it and to use uh, just critical theory to try and unpack why it is that this happens to first generation students. That's, that's really interesting. I just want to clarify when you say first generation, do you mean like a first generation newcomer to Canada or do you mean the first person in your family to go to university? Yeah, so for the purpose of my research, I mean uh, first generation as the first person in my family to go to university. Um, in my personal experience, those two things actually are the same. Uh, I'm the first of my family to go to university and also the first born Canadian. Um, both of my parents immigrated from Mexico when they were in their early 20s um, and raised and started their family here. So I, I have the privilege of, of living in this uh this country and, and having these opportunities. Um, so yeah, the, the two things are very closely tied for me, but for the purpose of my research, it's just focused on going to school as the first person in my family. And what have you found so far in your research? At the moment, I have found that the experiences of first-generation students are very common and they are very well-researched, which is something that uh, as somebody who hasn't had like a crazy background in academia or hasn't had a lot of people to learn um, how academia works was uh, like a big shock to me. I didn't realize how often we were being written about. Um, the ways we were being written about as first-generation students and what kind of supports there were, uh, which really is one of the biggest issues going into um, supporting first-generation students within university settings. The university setting has certain values of which um, are unsaid in these spaces. And as a first-generation student, we don't tend to have the same ones. 
a lot of the time that has to do with uh, a discrepancy between cultural values um, in the home space and then uh, university setting spaces. I have a question about, because you said you also use kind of autobiographical uh, elements into your research. So I have a question. What was it like for you when you told your parents that you wanted to go to university? Were they encouraging you to do that? Did they not expect you to want to do that? What was it like at home having that discrepancy between what your parents did and what you do? So for me, it actually wasn't a choice. It was more told to me that I was going to be going to university. Oh. Um, when I was in the process of applying in my last year of high school, it was very clear to me that my parents wanted me uh, to have a specific idea of success in their minds. I think for a lot of um, immigrant children, but also first generation children and students, that means maybe being a doctor, a dentist, uh, a surgeon. Um, and I knew at the time that that was just not in my uh, wheelhouse of uh, interest. Um, and so we kind of landed on this compromise uh, where I wanted to go in for media studies. Uh, and they were supportive of it because they thought, okay, this is something where we can see a future. Um, and as the years went by and my majors changed, they kind of scratched their head a little bit and were like, well, what are you going to do with a, with a major in human rights and social justice? Or what are you going to do with a master's of gender studies? Um, so it's definitely been an interesting relationship uh, with my parents trying to navigate and understand what it is that I do as an academic versus what it is that they expected from me going into academia originally. Um, but they are very supportive of, of me and my passions. Um, yeah. And so where, you know, what do you think the next step is? Or do you have any plans to share your research or continue your research? Yeah, I actually hope to turn my current research project into a zine. Um, I would like to make it accessible to others outside of just academic institutions. That is one of uh, my biggest values going into a research stream is knowing that just because you're in an institution doesn't mean this research should be limited to those within that space. Um, so I want to make it accessible to other people, other first-generation students like me who maybe have similar experiences and just don't have never really heard of them before uh, and really work towards just making it an accessible piece of, uh, of knowledge, of learning, of reading. Um, yeah. That's, that's really admirable. And I'm in science. And so, and we kind of think all the time, like the research I produce isn't going to be seen by the general public, which it, that's not right. Like everyone should be able to access that. So I really admire that, that you want to bring that piece to the, your community. I want to circle back to a point that you said a bit earlier, you brought up cultural homelessness, which could you define that? Could you elaborate more on, on what that is and how students might experience that? Yes, 100%. So cultural homelessness takes from the uh, the experience of homelessness that we uh, have can view on like the streets of people without homes, um, people that have uh, precarious living situations. Um, and so what it means to be culturally homeless is that within a certain social space, we cannot find a home to call our own. Um, that gets a little bit complicated and I'm actually in the process of really 
um, tearing that apart within my research right now. Um, so I apologize if this isn't as eloquent as I would like it to be. Um, but really, it just means that you become a part of uh, an outcast. Um, you aren't accepted into these social spaces. And the uh, reasoning could be individual, re individual reasons behind this homelessness. So it could be like mental health, uh, disability, race, gender, sexuality, um, financial instability, or it could be structural as well. Um, what that means is there might just not be enough support systems for you to be able to navigate certain spaces, which leave you, which render you homeless, right? You don't have a support system. You don't have a place to feel safe in. Um, and I think one of the key things that's important is that there are many people who can often go into certain spaces and find a sense of community or home um, whenever they want, uh, whereas my research really focuses on those who aren't able to do so. We might find little pieces here and there where we find joy within the university setting, or we can say we found a home or a community, um, but that can very easily be taken away from us as well. And I would think that there's a lot of alienation that goes along with that, especially people that are maybe new to Canada and they're, they're not only adjusting to the, the cultural expectations and norms, but also maybe feeling a sense of isolation if they're the only one from a specific community. A hundred percent, Elizabeth. And one of the biggest things, and, and this was honestly probably the biggest challenge when it came to my research, was trying to separate those two things. The idea of this, um, of, of also being a first generation Canadian and a first generation student, um, because they are so closely linked. Um, but for the sake of my paper and for the sake of, of also not overwhelming myself, I knew that this was something that I had to separate. Um, but it, but the, the similarities are there for just first-generation students as well. Um, there is a huge cultural difference between being at home and being in the university setting. And a lot of the times that tends to split a person in two. You have a personality that you walk through your university with, and then you have a personality that you go home with. Um, and it's very alienating in both spaces. For me, for example, after my first two or three years at university, I felt like my values were changing a lot. And I would go home and say something to my parents and they'd be like, that is such a crazy thought. Like, where did you get that from? Um, or I, there, I, I started learning a lot about disability studies and critical race studies um, and, and calling them out when they maybe said something that was racist. And they'd say they wouldn't understand it because they don't have that background knowledge. They don't have that education. It's a lot of ignorance is bliss. Um, and then going to a university setting where culturally I've never, or, or I've never had anybody in my family previously attend a university and having to figure out how to navigate all on my own was really difficult. It also impacted my mental and physical well-being. I have a question about, about COVID because you were talking about how you can kind of be two different people, the person that you are when you go to university and the person you're at home. But during COVID, a lot of us were doing school from home. So was that the case in your situation? And can you speak a little bit about how it was to kind of have those two personalities be in the same spot during a situation like COVID? Yes, I had a very difficult time navigating my academia while I was at home during COVID. Um, and I, I actually didn't last very long. Um, 
there were a lot of attributing factors. Um, at, the, at the same time, my family was, uh, my parents were separating and we were selling our home and COVID was making things very precarious in terms of money. And so there were a lot of choices being made. So I only had to endure that for maybe four or five months before I ended up moving in with my partner. Um, but that time was really difficult. I found myself really focusing on spending time with my family during the day um, and then taking more time to write and do uh, my academic studies in the evening. Um, and it made it really difficult sometimes because they wouldn't go to bed until like 11 or 12. So I was up working until 3 a.m. because it was the only time I could really feel myself get into that zone and allow myself to not feel um, this kind of guilt that I think many of us first-generation students feel about carrying this knowledge with us. And, you know, I, I just want to go back to a point you made around learning critical race theory and critical disability studies and, and then sort of bringing that home and those values home and, and the act of calling out. And, and how do you, and I think this is bigger than just just this conversation, but how do you do that in a way that's supportive and educative, but also in a way that lets people know that what they've said might be quite harmful or hurtful? I think that's something that I'm struggling with. I'm a very um, outspoken person, and I think a lot of times that can be taken on as aggressive. Um, Sarah Ahmed actually writes about it and, and calls it being the feminist killjoy. Um, yes, that we I love Sarah Ahmed. <laughs> Me too. Um, that we kill a lot of conversations or uh, a lot of jokes with uh, like the hard hitting facts about the reality of what they just said and how it can be harmful. Um, but I haven't let that deter me from still doing it because I think a lot of the times, especially coming from a uh, Mexican background, um, a lot of the times humor is insults and it is taken very lightly. Um, but as people who have moved to Canada and are living in 2022, there are a lot of times where I have to pull them aside and say, hey, you actually can't say that anymore because it's really harmful to a certain community. Um, and it isn't always taken lightly by my parents. So sometimes it's really awkward to have that conversation or they're really confused. For example, my partner goes by they, them pronouns. Um, and I was telling, I was trying to tell my mom that they were referring to their gender wrong, but they use they, them pronouns. And my mom just kept saying, but there's only one person. There's only one person. I don't understand. And I think I, a large part of that is also how they learn the English language as well, is the, the grammatical rules of, of learning it. So there, there's a lot of give and take that has to happen, I find. Um, and a lot of knowing when not to let go and not to exhaust yourself as well. Um, because unfortunately, they're also at a point where if they don't want to change, they won't and they'll continue to have certain ideas of, of topics. Um, so yeah, I hope that answers that question. I definitely relate a bit to the the feminist killjoy. I know like some people will be like, oh, have you seen this movie? It's amazing. And I'm like, yeah, well, what about this? And, and this was really hard and I couldn't get into it because of these reasons. And then they're just kind of like, oh, well, well, you're not no fun, but it is important. And I'm glad that you, that you still continue to do it in, in a caring way, especially for your own family. I was just wondering like when 
you go out into the world, do you feel excited to talk about your research with people? Or do you feel uh, maybe a little hesitant that you might bring up something uh, controversial or, or bring up a debate? Because I feel a bit nauseous when I have to talk about politics, but in your coursework, you're kind of you're kind of right in it. So how do you feel when you're you're introducing yourself and your research to people you haven't met? Yeah, it's definitely both thrilling and super anxiety inducing. Um, I think the last year that I've been in this program has been super special because it was the first time in my life that I really felt surrounded by like-minded individuals who were really passionate about the same things that I was. Um, we were all just like a bunch of nerdy kids is sitting in a class like three times a week and just talking about these things that we were so excited about. Um, and I was actually having this conversation with a friend of mine named Isabel about how now we're like going into the world again and we don't have the safety net of our community to have these conversations with and a lot of the time these conversations that we're having on race disability gender sexuality aren't met with the same care or compassion that our our cohort had for them um so i personally am very excited to talk about my research all the time i'm very willing and open to talk to people about it with um but a lot of the times it's the receiving end of it that can make it really hard to have those conversations. Um, and again, like I said before, it is a give and take. It, you can't make a change in one day or 24 hours or 12 minutes in one conversation. It might take years, it might take hundreds of conversations, but as long as the other person's willing to listen, I am willing to share. That's, and that's really beautiful because I think, you know, what that speaks to is, is, a real openness to, to educate and to share, but also to help people understand their own responsibility around gaining and learning knowledge that perhaps isn't something that that they grew up with or perhaps wasn't something they learned in school. Um, and it, it's a tricky balance between wanting to educate but also not wanting to sort of take on that invisible labor of educating. Yeah, yeah. 100%, 100%. And I think there is a, one of the biggest issues that I find being a graduate student is that this information feels so, um, so it's like gatekeeping it. Like we're gatekeeping all this information and this research when it really should be available to everybody. And I think that's really what pushes me to want to share my research as far and as wide as possible because it's really hard to see ourselves represented in, in popular culture and media sometimes. And the only times we can really see ourselves is in spaces or in, in academic readings. Um, and, and that has its own issues as well because a lot of the times we're being used almost as a guinea pig um, uh, to understand certain experiences, which both has its pros and cons, right? Um, but I, I definitely, I definitely see the value in being able to share that knowledge and information. You talked a bit about how some of the experiences are common among first generation students. How, if you so imagine that you were a consultant for the university and you wanted to say, hey, we have all these students, they're very important and they're having similar experiences. What would you want to see the university doing to help students thrive and, and do better? What would you say to the university? Yeah, so I think one of the first things actually 
is I would say that there needs to be more communication between high schools and universities and kind of a restructuring of how we prepare students for university starting in high school. There just isn't a lot of knowledge of what to expect when you're going into university setting. You can watch as many movies as you want. You can read as many books as you'd like, but I don't think anything prepares you for that first year. Um, and just understanding what the expectations are like, or maybe setting high school courses up in a way that, that um, imitates university setting spaces or, or classes, um, just so that they can get a feel of what that's like. Um, and then when it comes to the university and what the university can do, I think a lot of it is just providing the right kinds of support. Um, and I think what we lack in is actually asking students what it is that they need um, and actually removing this idea that it's up to each and every individual to figure it out. Um, and there should be more of like a community-based approach to caring for our students and making sure that they're okay. The fact that a lot of things become optional when you're in university and that a lot of these services are optional is the reason why so many students don't access them. And especially when you're a first generation student and you've never had anybody in your family go to university and you have literally no idea what's going on, it makes it really, really difficult to even know that these support systems exist. Yeah, and I think what you're really getting at there is it's so key is this hidden curriculum. So it's like, well, you know, of course you should apply for grants or of course you should publish every year or of course you should go to conferences, but that might not be evident to someone who doesn't have family to go home and talk to that's done this before and can give them some guidance. A hundred percent. Like this is my first year that I ever even knew academic conferences existed that I, like, I didn't even know what the publishing aspect or just how to get published or that it was even possible or what to do when you go to a conference, how to network. Um, so for me, it was just like this huge shock to know that there were all these options and that we, I had those options in my undergrad as well, but I just, I didn't know about them. Um, and having two younger sisters now, I really kind of encourage them to um, explore what their university offers them in, in ways that my parents could never tell me because they never had that experience. Um, yeah. Do you think that there's kind of a different relationship there with like your young, do you think your younger sisters are going to have a different experience than you did just because you're there as a role model for them? Yeah, 100%. I think I've already seen that change a lot. I think it was definitely difficult for my sister who is in her second year going into her third year, because she started it during COVID, um, which is its own, uh, its own hurdle. Um, but at least she had me to figure out how to apply for OSAP or uh, how to pick courses. Like I remember struggling so hard to pick my, to make my schedule in my first semester of my first year. And I actually ended up messing it up royally because I didn't know how it worked. Um, and, and just to even ask for advice, I know that I, there were so many times where I didn't know if like what I was studying was what I wanted. Um, and I actually, it took me an extra year to finish my undergrad because I ended up leaving. And then I took about a year off uh, and just worked and I realized I hated working more than I hated studying um, and I went back and I actually was able to change my experience a lot in my last year at Carleton um, I knew more I got into the gender studies program um, or the minor 
Um, and I was just able to uh, navigate the space a lot easier and able to immerse myself in a way that I hadn't in my first three years because I was just so focused on surviving. That's great. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. This has been GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I've been your host, Emily Hutchinson, and my co-host was Elizabeth Moeller. We've been speaking with Alessia Servin, and this episode was produced by me, Emily Hutchinson. If you would like to get involved with the show or get into contact with us, you can email us at gradcast at sogs.ca. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Gradcast Radio. To listen to us, we are on Radio Western 94.9 FM, and you can find all of our episodes wherever you find your lovely podcast. Thank you for listening and enjoy the rest of your day.